Hey, what's up? This is your boy, Star King Gaming. Yeah, you're going to get an ad right in the middle of a podcast. Now, the reason why we're doing the ad is because I want to talk about, number one, my number one sponsorship. That is King Uno Canvases. King Uno Canvases can be for any and all occasions. Celebration of life, Mother's Day, Father's Day, birthdays. Hell, get one done just because your kid's favorite character is Scooby-Doo. And you want a Scooby-Doo canvas in their room. He will do any and all occasions, whatever it may be. Talk to the guy. King Uno the Gamer. King Uno Canvases. King Uno Photography Plus. He's easy to get a hold of. The link will be in actually every one of these podcasts. So that way you guys know. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, like, why would I really need one? Well, you can get a canvas done just for you and your significant other. Just saying. Throwing that out there. Um, maybe you guys went on a recent trip and you want to get a beautiful picture that you guys took over the beach and the sunset and all that lovely, you know, husband and wife stuff. King Uno can do a canvas for you. I mentioned that the prices have gone up for the 11 by 14, which is seen in every one of my streams is $69. The next size up is 16 by 20 is $90. And then the 16 by 24 is a hundred dollars. Now, for a special promotion from August 8th to September 10th, I'm doing a very special promotion in which you can get your shipping costs covered at regular shipping. If you want expedient, I will cover a percentage of that shipping cost. I will not cover it all. However, if you live in the UK, I'll help with a little bit more of the expenses. Remember, Though shipping is all going to depend on where you live too. So if you get expedient shipping and it's only like $3 extra, I will probably just cover it just to make you feel happier about yourself. I will also be doing a canvas giveaway around the holidays coming up here pretty soon and Christmas time. Um, so be on the lookout for that. And as I mentioned, there's different costs for it. If you get a canvas and you don't want to be a part of the giveaway, I totally understand some people, they just wish to just support, you know, small businesses. Well, message my gaming page on Facebook, Starkin Gaming, and we'll talk. I will make sure to help you get set up to King Uno. He's actually one of my mods, so he'll be able to see the message. But sorry I had to do a little cheap promo ad. I just wanted to give a shout out to King Uno Canvases for all the wonderful support he does behind the scenes. I appreciate you guys. Let's get back to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the third edition of Star King Gaming Presents. This episode, I was struggling between five different people. One, a Hall of Fame linebacker, Derek Thomas, who had an amazing career and was feared by most quarterbacks. Number two through five, it was very difficult to decide. And I decided to go with three different players. We're going to cover the life and death of Lawrence Phillips, Aaron Hernandez, and the life and career of Henry Ruggs, and then there's going to be a bonus portion of the podcast that I'm going to add, the life and death of Derek Thomas. Um, the reason why I wanted to do Derek Thomas is because of how much of an impact he made in the NFL. The reason why he's being covered is because he was somebody I actually used to watch all the time. Being a Lions fan, you know, where I live, you didn't get to see very many Lions games, but we got to see a lot of Raider games, and Raiders and Chiefs was like the like best rivalry ever and i felt like 
why not cover him as well? Because I, I personally, out of everybody we covered between Junior Seau and him, it's very difficult for me to say which one had more of an impact. And then Steve Atwater as well had a major impact on my life. But that's the reason why we decided to do a bonus portion of the podcast. Now, starting with the next podcast, I might just start throwing in some music influences in my life, their life and death of their careers and everything, you know, trying to do a little more broader, you know, I don't, I don't want to say broader. I just want to make, make it to where people can understand what I truly love. Music and sports is like my favorite things in life at, you know, my darkest times. It really helped me. So having both of them, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's a help. But without any further ado, let's get into, let's start off with the life and death of Lawrence Phillips. Some will say he's an NFL bust, and by basic definition, I would agree. A bust is a player who doesn't reach or even come close to what a team expects or the NFL fans expect. Think of it as everyone's talking about this game that looks absolutely amazing, great graphics and all that, but however, you go to play it, and all of a sudden, there's constant lag issues. The game just doesn't work out, and eventually, the game shuts down completely. It's crazy to think. Now, Phillips was an all-around pretty good, solid running back in his high school and college careers. And we'll get into all that stuff because there's some issues that he had in his NFL career that I would like to talk about more so. But let's go into it. Let's cover the life and death of Lawrence Phillips. Lawrence Phillips was born May 12, 1975 in Little Rock, Arkansas. He would later move to California, and this is basically where his life would spiral he would actually grow up in foster homes. However, this motivated him to become someone, you know, famous. He wanted to be that that person to make it. Unfortunately, he would actually be in and out of foster homes throughout his whole life. I'll explain all this here pretty soon. I mentioned he was in and out of foster homes. And this is something that's very, very tough for any kid. Imagine this, okay? Being in foster homes and seeing these kids get adopted, most kids that were adopted were the ages of two to six and were Caucasian descent. Um, So him being a 10-year-old African-American boy, he was never the main target for any adopting couple, unfortunately. Now, all that being said, seeing all these kids getting adopted, he actually faced a lot of issues because he started feeling rejected and it's hard not to when you're dealing with seeing your so-called brothers and sisters being adopted and you're still at this terrible foster care center however for all of that he still had a dream and he wanted to be an NFL player and he still got to do his dream job with his speed, anything was possible. In fact, his freshman year of high school, he went to West Kavana High, where he was a starting running back and outside linebacker on the varsity team as a freshman. He would do the same thing sophomore year. Now, today's NFL, there are multiple types of running backs. You have your speed backs who are fast and obviously get down the field fast. Then you have your receiving backs who can receive the ball. Um, sometimes speed backs can be the same thing. They, you know, they go out for like, you know, screen passes and etc. And then you have like a power block, a, a backfield type guy, like a fullback or 
maybe in a power running back who basically just plows through any of the defensive line. Most of the time you use them for short yardage, like let's say third and one or fourth and one or fourth and goal at the one. Generally, that's what you use them for. So there's those. And then there's basically like a finesse back, I guess you could call it. Um, you know, think of guys like Barry Sanders who were quick and agile, can make quick steps and can make quick decisions ahead three feet, uh, three steps ahead of all defenses. And then there were running backs like Lawrence Phillips, who in high school and college were kind of like your all-around backs. He could catch the ball. He could run. He wasn't terrible at blocking, but he wasn't the greatest. And, you know, he he did okay in high school. And he was looking like a solid All-American type high school player. And he did well. He was an all-around back, and he was good at all things, you know, and that's what separated him. From the others now with the after his coach coaches I should say and some of the other people within the athletic alumni they were trying to tell him that he needed to go to a different high school a high school where he could get better academically and possibly have a better chance to be drafted in the NFL well even scouted in college so then he started attending Baldwin Park High School a high school that is well better than academically and actually has some fellow athletes, including a CFL, which is Canadian Football League, all-star, a man who died on the same exact day as my grandma, Gary Allen, Randy Knorr, who is a World Series winning backup catcher for the Toronto Blue Jays, Ron Brown, who was a 1984 gold, uh, won a gold medal in the 1984 Olympics, also played eight seasons in the NFL, was a one-time Pro Bowl speci- specialist, return specialist for Los Angeles Rams. He also... He also played for the Raiders as well. And then, of course, Lawrence Phillips. His junior year, his team won the CIF championship, which attracted some big-name colleges, including the University of Nebraska, which is where he would go. As his senior year, he did well, but not as good as his junior year. However, Nebraska wanted him, and so he was already committed. The 1992 Nebraska Cornhuskers were 9-3 and three and ranked 14th in the AP poll, which means they were considered to be the 14th best college program. They were led by Tommy Fraser, who only threw 727 yards and 10 touchdowns. I say only because in today's NCAA, the Nebraska was four and eight, and their senior quarterback threw 2,400 yards and seven or 17 touchdowns. Yes, yeah, 17 touchdowns. Now I say that you know four and eight and all that. Yeah, they're still competitively you know terrible, but. It is what it is. However, in that pre- that year, they had their leading running back, Derek Brown, who just rushed for 1,313 yards in the 1991 season, but did only 1,011 yards with one less game played and only four touchdowns, would actually forego his senior year and enter the draft going the fourth round, 93rd overall to the Saints. Then they had a guy named Calvin Jones who in the 92 season had 1,210 yards, 14 touchdowns, actually pretty decent career in Nebraska, having a total of 3,152 yards, 40 touchdowns. And he ended up becoming a third-round pick in the 1994 draft. And that's a draft where Kurt Warner went undrafted that year. So did Jeff Garcia, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about that. They they could also had Pro Bowl Dorsey Levins. Uh, you know, Calvin didn't do much in his career, unfortunately. 
Jamal Anderson was the seventh pick in that draft. And, I mean, Bam Morrison had a decent career and was 91st. So there were better options. And, obviously, he looked the greatest in in their eyes. Calvin did. But, I mean, he ended up not doing much in the NFL, unfortunately. Um, And then they they also had in 1992 a guy named Will Shields, who is a Hall of Fame offensive lineman. So there's that. Needless to say, Cornhuskers had to do some work. Those are all the players that they lost, by the way. The 1993 team would, well, go off 11-1, and f- one, finishing third in the AP uh, poll and get these stats for Frazier. He would throw 1,159 yards, 12 touchdowns. Calvin Jones had 1,043 yards, 12 touchdowns, and Phillips, as a freshman, had 508 yards, 5 touchdowns. Now, they would lose a tough game against Florida State in the Orange Bowl, but the next season, they would come back hungrier and wanting more. They actually finished 13-0. and 0 and finished first in the AP poll, and get this, won the Orange Bowl, beating University of Miami 24-17. With Brooke Berenger as a quarterback, he would throw 1,295 yards, 10 touchdowns, but Phillips, he did some things. He rushed for 1,722 yards and added 16 touchdowns to that. And also in the Orange Bowl, he had 19 rushes for 96 yards and was a pretty major factor to the win. Now, right after the Orange Bowl, he actually would plead not guilty from a case that steamed for the previous year during that previous season. Uh, and again, and again, it's all allegedly. I try to look it up. He allegedly grabbed a student around the neck and was charged for assault, vandalism, and disturbing the peace. However, he was released, and things will get interesting for him. Prior to the nineteen ninety five season. He was questioned for having a $100 lunch with a sports agent. He allegedly reimbursed the agent, making sure he didn't violate his scholarship. Now, this, this is, you know, this is pretty interesting. The NCAA did an investigation and ruled him eligible just before the season opener. However, the NCAA was still investigating Phillips for what is being called unspecified issues. The 1995 season, Phillips has some issues. The second game of the season, he went off and had 206 yards, four touchdowns, and they would destroy Michigan 50-10. to 10. After they got home, Phillips would break into the backup quarterback Scott Frost's apartment, climbing to the outside of the building, by climbing through the outside of the building and then getting into a three-story apartment, I might add. Then he would gra- assault his ex-girlfriend by grabbing her by her hair down three sets of flights of stairs and smashed her head into a mailbox. Phillips would be arrested, and here's where the story gets interesting. He would get suspended. I mean, obviously, he has to face some kind of punishment by the college, but the head coach, Tom Osborne, would face so many issues because a lot of people were questioning and even asking, if one of your players had been roughened up by your family, or if one of your family, I'm sorry, if one of your players or one of your members of your family was roughed up and had been dragged down three flights of steps, what what do you think? Would you reinstate that person? I'm just saying. I mean, it, it's a good question to ask. To which he walked out of the press conference. Many people were outraged, but Osborne actually may have had good intentions. He stated, abandoning Phillips may do more harm than good for him. And... Unfortunately, actually, looking at what happened, I couldn't agree anymore. However, no one could, could know his outcome. After a six-game suspension, Osborne reinstated Phillips. Phillips only played in five games, however, had a decent season with 547 yards, nine touchdowns, again, missing six games. 
he probably would have had 2,000-plus yards and 18 touchdowns, just saying. Because when he came back, it actually came at a price. Despite the pressure he felt from media, he actually went off in the Fiesta Bowl game. Number one, Nebraska would face number two, Florida, in the national championship game where they would they would go off. Phillips had 165 yards, two touchdowns, as they destroyed Florida, 62-24. Osborne pushed Phillips into declaring for the 1996 draft. Phillips decided to turn pro. And the reason why he foregoed his senior season is because I think they wanted to get him in the NFL before before things got too bad. In 1997, just one year later, Osborne would would actually retire from coaching and took an administrative position as a coach. He was 255-49 and three in his career won three national champions in his career that's not very that's that's actually pretty solid for a coach i'm just throwing that all right now let's get back to phillips phillips was entering the nfl draft and his stat line was actually pretty decent with 3102 yards 33 touchdowns two national champions under his belt the 1996 drafts has some experts saying he would go number three to the arizona cardinals or he possibly would fall later on to to the 16th pick, even to the 14th, actually, is where they, this, they said the lowest he would go, but he was ranked between 3 and 16 to go in the mock draft. Now, draft experts had him going over 3 to Arizona, but they had Garrison Hurst, a third-year running back who just rushed for 1,070 yards, and it's not bad. Mentioned the 14th pick, Houston Oilers had uh, Rodney Thomas, who just rushed for 957 yards. Anything and everything was possible. <coughs> he was a risk, though, because of his legal issues. And anytime there's a major risk, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what you're dealing with. And a lot of people were actually thinking that Baltimore was going to pick him up. Thinking about this, Baltimore was a fresh new team, and they were getting their first pick of that that year, and. You know what? We'll see what happens. Let's go over the 1996 draft. The first pick of the draft was a wide receiver named Keyshawn Johnson, who had three Pro Bowls, won a Super Bowl, and Tampa Bay. Played a pretty long career, was actually a very solid receiver. Second pick was selected by Jacksonville. They picked up Kevin Hardy, a one-time Pro Bowler who never had a Hall of Fame numbers, was still a pretty solid linebacker. Third pick, Arizona would pick. Simeon Rice, defensive end. Now remember, they had their number one back with Hurst. So Rice was a three-time Pro Bowler and also won a Super Bowl with John Keyshawn Johnson in Tampa Bay. The fourth pick, Baltimore would select offensive tackle Jonathan Ogan, who spent his whole entire Hall of Fame career with Baltimore, being an 11-time Pro Bowler and winning a Super Bowl. Speaking of winning a Super Bowl, they would beat the New York Giants, who had the fifth pick. And they would select defensive end Cedric Jones. I- excuse me. Who? He would be a part of the Super Bowl team in Baltimore with Oregon, but was on the losing side being with the Giants, as I mentioned. Other than that, he pretty much didn't do anything. To be fair, the Giants had Rodney Hampton, a second-year running back, so they I mean, and second-year running back Tyrone Wheatley, they weren't looking for a running back, so I understand it. However, 
there was many other Hall of Famers that could have been picked, like the 19th pick being Mar- Marvin Harrison and 26th pit- pick being Ray Lewis. Brian Dawkins was a 61st pick. He was also Hall of Fame. Hell, the next defensive end, Reagan Epshaw was a better pick than him. Just just saying, Reagan Epshaw was actually way better. With the sixth pick, the St. Louis Rams selected Lawrence Phillips. By the way, Houston would get a running back who might have been the greatest ever Titan slash Euler running back, and that being Eddie George. No offense to all the greats that have been there who only rushed for 10,009 yards and 64 touchdowns. Nothing major, but he did pretty good for the Oilers at the 14th pick. Okay, anyway, let's get back to Lawrence Phillips. The Rams were so confident that they traded away. Now, you guys need to hear this. Hall of Fame running back and Pro Bowl running back at that point, Jerome Bettis, to Pittsburgh. Now, like I said, all he did would become a Hall of Famer in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Anyway, the 1996 St. Louis Rams actually were led by future Hall of Famer Isaac Bruce. They also had Tony Banks at quarterback. They didn't have such a great career, but they didn't look bad. Phillips was the new running back and looked hungry and ready to win. However, they would go 6-10. and 10. Phillips would actually have 193 carries for 632 yards and four touchdowns. Not bad, but sadly for Phillips... Things would change for the worse. With a new coach, Dick Vermeil, the team would struggle going 5-11. and 11. Phillips would be released after the 10th game of the season. Get this, he has 633 yards, 8 touchdowns at that point. Because the initial report was, Dick told Phillips he was getting demoted because of inconsistent performances and inability to stay out of trouble. The Rams would cuss, cut him for an outburst he would have. Now here's some thoughts. And here is some of the things that Dick Vermeule said, and you guys just need to hear it. This is in a documentary called Running for His Life, The Lawrence Phillips Story. Now here we go. LP does not stand for Lawrence Phillips. It stands for low profile. He didn't really accept that because from time to time he would do a little something that would draw attention to himself. More and more, that something, including an arrest for drunk driving, stemmed from Phillips' need to quiet his demons through an accelerating addiction to alcohol that came to a head near the end of his second season in St. Louis. Bartenders would come over, hey man, um, good luck this Sunday, and your boy Lawrence was here till 4 a.m. You kind of got pissed at that, like we're gonna lose on Sunday and you know it because our best player was in here getting hammered. We're playing at home and we go out for pregame warm-up. During warm-ups, he collapses on the field. As the trainers are attending to Lawrence, they notice that he has alcohol on his breath. One trainer acknowledges that they had smelled alcohol on his breath in and out of the locker room a few times. Boy, my eyes sunk. I was so, so upset. I called him in on that Monday morning after that ball game, set him in my office, I'll never forget this. And I said, Lawrence, what would you do if you were the new head coach at the St. Louis Rams? Now, big tears are rolling down this kid's face. He looked me right in the eye and said, I would fire me. I says, well, Lawrence, I'm gonna tell you, that's what I'm gonna do. The fact that Dick Vermeil was trying to make it work with Lawrence tells you how talented he was because he didn't put up with that crap from most guys. You were gone, but he kept trying with Lawrence. You seem kind of sad when you talk about it, almost sort of sad. like a father who's failed. Hey, I don't want to get into it. Damn right I'm sad. 
If I had it to do over again today, I might not have fired him. I don't feel good about it. A wasted, gifted human being. It haunts me. Now, Dick Vermeule was very emotional when they asked him. You seem almost sad, like you, like a failing father. And he says, "You're damn right, I'm sad." And he says it with tears in his eyes. And you could see and sense that he really did love Lawrence Phillips. He saw the potential there, and unfortunately, for for him, it it just didn't work out, you know. However, Dick Vermeil would do his best and would call Miami Dolphins head coach Jimmy Johnson to give Phillips a chance. And I mean, you already heard Vermeil; he got choked up in that art in that in that interview. You could tell he loved him. This is like one of his kids. And the Dolphins would actually sign him. However, he would get released after he assaulted a woman outside a club. Phillips missed the entire 1998 season, but would try out for the NFL Europe team, Barcelona's Dragons. Think of them as like a minor league franchise over, you know, in Europe. He would go off. He went, ran for 1,021 yards and 44 touchdowns. He even had a few teams interested in him, including the San Francisco 49ers, who interviewed him multiple times and which claimed that he put his past behind him and he put all those difficulties that he had behind him as well. Bill Walsh, the then Niner GM, told Phillips, if we sign you, we won't hesitate to release you. Phillips told him that he was a new man and was competing for the, f- the starting job for anywhere. He wants to be a starting running back one more time. Phillips would actually compete then after signing with the Niners and would compete against Charlie Garner. And Charlie Garner, with previous years, had had some pretty decent seasons. Phillips was lacking blocking skills, which cost him the starting job. He would basically become a receiving back, back and running back, and kick returner. Although Phillips was staying out of trouble, he was struggling on the field. With his mediocre performances, such as his blocking skills, would actually lead to the end of Steve Young's career. The third week of the season, Phillips missed a block on Aeneas Williams, who made a very hard but clean hit on Steve Young, causing him to have severe concussion and thus ending his career. Young has been public to say that he does not blame any of this on Lawrence Phillips. However, Steve Mariucci would lose all respect and interest in Phillips. And he would basically become a problem again, getting into arguments with coaches such as Tom Ratham, who is a running back coach and Hall of Fame. Well, not really Hall of Fame, but a San Francisco 49er Hall of Famer. And their little Hall of Fame they have for their fellow players. Ratham actually threatened the 49ers by saying it's either me or him, basically. After a Week 10 trip against the New Orleans Saints, he said that if Phillips makes this trip, I'm not going to be there. Well, he didn't make that trip. They would actually suspend him for three games, and eventually he would be released. Now, following his release, he missed the 2000 season, but was signed an Arena Football League Florida Bobcats, but would get released almost instantly and never even playing it down for the team without even the coaches knowing. Phillips would move to the CFL and actually did pretty well there. Due to his criminal record, he had a hard time getting a visa to work in Canada. However, he got one and showed signs of his old form by rushing for 1,022 yards, 13 touchdowns, even in earning an all-star and won a great cup. I mean, just think of the great cup. It's similar to the Super Bowl. He would hold out trying to get more by trying to get more money 
but he would actually end up being released for quote-unquote not meeting the team's minimum behavioral standards. And it would come out that he was actually charged for sexual assault, and he was signed with the Calgary Stampeders only having 486 yards on one touchdown, but got released again for arguing with the head coach, Jim Baker. The team would end his playing... That Playing for that team would actually end his playing career. On August 21st, 2005, Phillips was arrested in, for assault after driving a car in, to three teenagers following a dispute with them during a pickup football game in Los Angeles. At the time of his arrest, Phillips was also wanted by the San Diego police in connections with two alleged domestic abuse incidents involving a former girlfriend who claimed that Phillips choked her to the point she was unconscious. In addition, the Los Angeles Police Department was seeking Phillips in connection with another allegation of domestic abuse that occurred in Los Angeles. In March 2006, Phillips was ordered to stand trial on charges of felony assault with a deadly weapon steaming from August 21, 2005 incident. On October 10th, he was found guilty on all seven accounts. On October 3rd, 2008, he was sentenced to 10 years in California State Prison. That sentence was subsequently reduced to seven, seven years. While serving that sentence, Phillips was, connected, was convicted of August, in August 2009 for assault on his former girlfriend on seven accounts, including assault with great bodily injury, false imprisonment, making a criminal threat, and auto theft. On December 18, 2009, Phillips was sentenced 25 years in prison on the 2009 convictions to run consecutive with the 2008 sentences, so a total of 31 years. Phillips was admitted to Kern Valley State Prison on October 16, 2008 under the California law since his crimes harmed others. He was required to serve at least 85% of his sentences becoming eligible for parole with good behavior, meaning that he would not be eligible until he was 57 years old for parole, a possibility even then. On April 12, 2015, Phillips' cellmate Damian Sword, the cousin of former NFL wide receiver RJ Sword, was found dead in a cell the two men shared, that the two men shared, who was serving a sentence of 82 years to life for murder conviction. He was choked to death, and Phillips was regarded as a prime suspect in the case. On first, uh, so the first of September, Phillips was charged with first-degree murder and Suarez's death. On November 9th, the prosecutors was granted motion to reconsider whether to seek the death penalty. Phillips was awaiting trial in a segregated custody when he was found unresponsive in a cell by correctional officers around midnight on January 12, 2016. Phillips was pronounced dead at 1.30 a.m. in a suspected suicide. The day before the judge a day before the judge could rule anything and the judge would actually rule that there was not enough evidence to bind Phillips in the trial for murder. Now since his death his family wanted to have his brain tested for CTE and also the coroner revealed that he would die from hanging himself with a note saying do not resuscitate hate to his chest. Now back in 1996 I mentioned Eddie George was drafted by the Oilers the other drafted running backs in that draft was Tim Bucatua, who we have talked about before, another bust. Leland McLoy, who was a special team player more than he was a running back. And then the fullback, Mike Oslot, was selected in that draft. Uh, 
Um, also, Winslow Oliver, who only had 215 yards rushing in his career. Mo Williams, who had 1,800 yards rushing and 1,500 yards receiving. Um, Abdul Kareem Al-Jabbar, who was a solid running back, had 300 or 3,411 yards. That was the 80th pick. Now, three-time Pro Bowler Stephen Davis, who considered to be one of the greatest Carolina Panther running backs, had 8,052 yards in his career. Those are just some of the draft picks that were taken. I just forgot to let you guys know that were taken after Lawrence Phillips. Lawrence Phillips could have been something special, and sadly the world may never know. And that was the life and death of Lawrence Phillips. Now, this one is not as sad as some of the others that we have covered because this is just the life and career of somebody. I decided to add a little twist with this one because it's still a sad end to a career. However, the person is still alive. And we're going to be covering now the life and, sadly, the end of a career of Henry Ruggs III. Imagine being drafted first round by a team that just recently relocated and has a sexy new stadium. Well, that happened for Henry Ruggs. Sadly, his high potential became a curse for himself. Some say he would never hurt a soul, and some said he was an idiot for what he did to cut his career short. And all of this happened all because of one dreadful night. Let's get to it. Henry Ruggs was born January 29, 1999. As I write this, he is currently only 24 years of age. Henry grew up in Montgomery, Alabama, and even went to what is then known as Robert E. Lee High School, now has been called, has been switched to Percy, Dr. Percy L. Julian High School. He played basketball, track and field, and of course, football. He didn't actually play football until his junior year, but his senior year, he would go off with 20 touchdowns. Nine touchdowns was receiving, seven touchdowns from rushing, three passing, and one kick return. Needless to say, he did his thing, and he got recognition. In fact, he was listed as the second best school athlete in Alabama for a high schooler. Number one was a guy named LeBron Ray. He was a five-star recruit who went undrafted and is currently on the Panthers roster as a defensive tackle and has also had some issues with the law, but that's neither here or there. Ruggs was a four-star recruit and was scouted very highly, and eventually he would choose to join his local Alabama. Alabama had a quarterback named Jalen Hurts at the time who was actually done pretty well in the league as as we speak. They also had a running back named Josh Jacobs who is currently on the Raiders and is listed as one of the best running backs in the NFL. In 2016, the season before Ruggs joined, Nick Saban led the the Crimson Tide to a 14-1 season and won the Peach Bowl, however, lost to Clemson in the national championship game. So not a bad season, and all I can say is roll tide. The next season, they would go 13-1, finishing second in the AP Bowl. Now, AP Bowl pull, I, I've said before, and I'm going to say it again, what that means is like the rating for all colleges. If you're number one ranked in AP pull, that means you're the number one ranked college. So I said that they went 13-1, not a bad season, obviously. Ruggs would only have 12 catches, 229 yards, but he also had six touchdowns, so half of his catches were touchdowns. 
Here's the thing, though. They had a receiver named Calvin Ridley, who was their leading receiver. They also had a guy named Irv Smith Jr., Jerry Judy, Cam Sims, and Devontae Smith. Now, all these guys are currently in the NFL as we speak. So, I mean, there was obviously some competition going on there. Now, they would win the Sugar Bowl, destroying Clemson 24-6. And the team that... And that was the team that they previously lost to in the uh, national championship game. Just saying. Now they would play Georgia national championship. Not only would they play, they would win. So Ruggs is a freshman and already has a national championship. And we saw we saw the start of something amazing in Alabama. The 2018 season, we saw something even more amazing. With names like Tua, Jalen Hurts, Mac Jones. They had three future NFL starting quarterbacks. Okay, just think about that. Tua is currently starting in Miami. Jalen just was on the Super Bowl losing team in Philadelphia. I mean, I mean he's still made the Super Bowl. I shouldn't say that. Like, you know, it was a bad thing. And then Mac Jones is currently the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. He's actually known as Tom Brady's predecessor. Actually, technically Cam Newton was and then Mac Jones. But that's neither here or there. Yeah, again, I'll say that. This particular season, we actually saw Ruggs kind of go off. And now he's competing with another receiver named Jalen Waddle, who's currently on the Miami Dolphins. I mentioned Tua and Jerry Judy, who are probably two of the best receivers in this on this team. Ruggs being the third best actually wasn't a bad receiver. Just throwing that out there. We had 46 catches for 741 yards and 11 touchdowns. Not bad. And the Crimson Tide would actually go 14-1, winning the Orange Bowl in big fashion, 45-34 to against Oklahoma. However, they would lose to Clemson, a team I've mentioned before, in the national championship, 44-16. to Now, Ruggs is looking like a deep threat and definitely has NFL potential. Now, Jalen Hurts would actually leave and go to Oklahoma to finish off his college career. And then when he left, it was more so so he could get more playing time with names like Tua and Mac Jones. He was going to start seeing a little less playing time. But I want you to hear these stats that he had in Oklahoma. Just I'm throwing this out there is a random throw-in stat. Listen to this. He went 237 and 340. Almost 70% of his passes were caught. Just throwing that out there. He threw 3,851 yards. 32 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. Oh, and he also ran for 233 times for a team leading 1,298 yards. He almost ran for 1,300 yards on top of what he did. Just throwing that out there. I mean, it was a random stat I had to go. And Oklahoma would go 12-2 and and got their asses handed to them in the Peach Bowl to LSU. But LSU had a pretty phenomenal team with a 15-0, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and uh, Justin Jefferson, just to name a few of the players that are currently all pro NFL players. Um, I mean, I wouldn't even say they're all pro. They're elite players. Let me put it that way. <laughs> Depending on who you ask in Madden, you know, they're pretty elite. Ruggs in that season would have 40 catches, 746 yards, 7 touchdowns. They would actually beat Michigan in the Citrus Bowl, 35-16. to Ruggs also rushed twice for 75 yards and a touchdown. Russ would forego his senior season and announce for the NFL draft. Ruggs had a total of 98 catches for 1,716 yards, 24 touchdowns. Not a bad career in college by any means. Not like Hall of Fame numbers, but he did pretty good. I mean, he did his thing. 
During the NFL Combine, they have something that they call a 40-yard dash. And if, for those who don't know that are listening, a 40-yard dash is where you run as fast as you can in 40 yards. And generally, faster times means you could get drafted higher because some teams, they want a speed threat. Well, the average is between 4.35 and 4.4. Like, that's what they generally look for, you know, as an average receiver. Now, Ruggs... He did something pretty pretty phenomenal. He ran a 4.27, which is in the top 10 fastest times in the NFL to date. Um, no, so not bad at all. The 2020 draft was filled with some amazing players, and Ruggs himself had high hopes to be projected in the top 10. However, some said that he could end up going from 7th to Carolina to a late first-round pick, and Ruggs was fast. And Now, here's the thing about the... Oh, the Oakland Raiders, who are now known as Las Vegas Raiders, they were notoriously known for drafting faster receivers over, and I, I, I put a huge emphasis on over, some of the better-handed receivers. Uh, Darius Hayward Bay comes to mind over Michael Crabtree. Michael Crabtree was a more sure-hand receiver, meaning that he was going to catch the ball almost guaranteed if he threw it to him where Hayward Bay was much faster of a receiver. And, you know, he had an okay career, but Crabtree was definitely the better pick. Now, back to this draft. Ruggs would be drafted by the Las Vegas Raiders, and I still can't get used to that name. They're Oakland to me. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm sorry. I, I can't help but think of the Oakland Raiders. But let's break down this draft. You all know the vibes. First pick, first overall, was a guy who I mentioned earlier, Joe Burrow from Cincinnati Bengals, and he's actually been a pretty damn good quarterback. He also came from LSU. I should have mentioned that. Second pick was by the then Washington Redskins. Obviously, they're no longer that. They're the Commanders. And they selected defensive lineman Chase Young. I still can't get used to the Redskins changing their names. They're, they're still the Redskins. I'm sorry. Now, Chase Young's dealt with some injuries, but when he's healthy, he's actually pretty damn good. The third pick, the Lions selected Jeff Akuda who they just recently traded away, who I actually personally am going to miss him. I love him. He was a wonderful defensive back for us, and I hope nothing but the best for him. Um, Just a little personal thing for me. So that's just my personal opinion. I, I, I you know, Sorry I had to throw that in there. Um, number four was offensive tackle Andre, Andrew Thomas. Andrew Th- Thomas, I keep. Or Andrew. However you pronounce it, um, who's been a Pro Bowl, hasn't been to the Pro Bowl yet, but has actually had a pretty decent career just recently getting a five-year, $117 million extension um, for the New York Giants. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't say he's the best offensive lineman, but he's actually been pretty damn good for them. So, And by the way, the $117 million contract is the most ever for an offensive lineman as of right now. Now, I'm not going to try to guess his last name, but I mentioned him earlier. Tua would be the fifth pick and is currently the starting quarterback for Miami. When healthy, and I do emphasize a huge part on the healthy part, he's actually been a very good quarterback, 21-13 and 13 as a starting quarterback. And I, as I type this, the Los Angeles Chargers selected, excuse me, with the sixth pick, they selected Justin Herbert, who has actually been a a quiet starting quarterback. A lot of people, you know, overlook him because he hasn't been in the Super Bowl. Nonetheless, he hasn't even won a playoff game. So, I mean, he is a little bit quiet in that in that regard, but he currently has over 14,000 passing yards as we speak and definitely a Pro Bowl caliber 
quarterback. The seventh pick, Carolina selected Derrick Brown, who has been decent so far with six sacks and has also been a solid player but for them, but nothing crazy. But he has actually been pretty good, I mean, for the Panthers. All right, I'll say that. The eighth pick was Isaiah Simmons, who low-key is underrated. He was a defensive end linebacker and safety in college. And as we speak, he has 258 tackles, seven and a half sacks, and four interceptions. I mean, he's, he's not a bad player, but, I mean, you know, he kind of kind of is low-key underrated, in my opinion. Jacksonville Jaguars had the ninth pick and selected C.J. Henderson, who is considered to be the worst pick in the Jacksonville's previous five seasons. Jacksonville history of draft picks hasn't always been the greatest, but this guy in particular, they actually wouldn't even keep him very long. He actually was sent to Carolina. He's actually been okay as a defensive back. He's had some issues with the law, but not bad. I mean, Trayvon Diggs was a second-round pick, and he's considered one of the greater uh, cornerbacks out of that draft. I'm just throwing that out there. The 10th pick, the Browns selected Jedrick Willis, who has been a decent starting offensive tackle. Nothing to write home about, but yet still could be a pro bowler one day. I mean, he's not been terrible. The next guy has had actually a very, very, very bad career. Um, uh, the 11th pick the Jets selected, Makai uh, Becton, who's actually dealt with so many injuries, and some are, are even considering him to be a bust. I mean, in three years, he's played a total of 15 games. So, I mean, he hasn't even played a whole season throughout his career. But maybe having Aaron Rodgers... You know, maybe Aaron Rodgers could get him healthy somehow. Um, you know, unfortunately, but you know, and I'll say this nicely about him. Who? All right. Then there was the number twelve pick, Henry Ruggs the third. The Raiders selected two first round picks that year, with Ruggs being one of them, and then a guy named Damon Arnett, who both basically are out of league because of legal problems. Arnett still has a chance, but only time will tell. So Ruggs, who will become a Raider, had a quarterback that actually has some history of being a playoff contending quarterback, and that being Derek Carr. And a lot of experts were hyped about this draft pick because now Derek Carr has a deep threat to go along with some of the mid-threats that he would have. Hunter Renfro, uh, Waller, of course, uh, the tight end, and Nelson uh, Aguilar, who was actually one of the better veteran receivers for them. And I mentioned all this hype. You know, I mentioned the names Waller, Renfro, and Aguilar. You know, they had some decent receiving core. And then you throw in Ruggs. Now, Ruggs, as a rookie, had 26 catches, 452 yards, and two touchdowns. The Raiders also had fellow Alabama teammate of his, Josh Jacobs. Carr and Jacobs both were actually pretty decent. And they were looking forward to the 2021 season. However, the 2021 season will change the life of Henry Ruggs forever. Here we go. During a week eight bye on November 2nd, 2021, Ruggs rear-ended another car at a high speed. He hit 23-year-old Tina Trenter and her dog, and they would be burnt to death. Ruggs was arrested and faced charges of dri- driving under the influence, causing a death, and reckless driving. Video evidence shows Ruggs driving approximately 156 miles per hour. Of course, the Raiders released Ruggs following their personal investigation into it. Two hours after the incident, Ruggs' blood alcohol content level was 0.161%, which is more than twice the 0.08 legal limit. On May 10th, 
2023, Ruggs took a plea deal and pleaded guilty. He could face up to 10 years in prison. Uh, just just a little crazy fact here. Up to 10 years is the key word there, folks. I'm throwing that out there because I'll, I'll explain something here in a minute. So when I originally wrote this, and I'm, I'm rephrasing this because I wrote this back on August 6th, uh, my mom's birthday, by the way, um, his sentencing was coming up August 9th was when he was sentenced. Now, here as I'm doing this portion, it's, it's actually the 10th, and Henry Ruggs has actually been sentenced to 3 to 10 years. Now, he could get out in 3 years, thus, you know, you never know. He might see the NFL again in 2026. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, and, and total hypothetical, let's say he only gets the 3 years, he will actually only be 26 years old and possibly could be still in the NFL and eligible to play. Anything can happen. Like, really, anything can happen in that. But during that season, Henry Ruggs had 24 receptions, 469 yards, and two touchdowns. All this before the halfway point, total hypothetical, based off of his stats, he would have been on pace to have around 1,100 yards and five touchdowns. Again, of course, all total hypotheticals. Now, I don't condone any of the actions that had happened. Henry Ruggs is still a human being. He made a mistake. He's admitted to making that mistake. And maybe we could see him in the NFL. Anything can happen. But that was the life and career of Henry Ruggs III. Now, here we go to the life and death of Aaron Hernandez. Aaron Hernandez had a troubled life and had many run-ins with the law, including bar fights and a few accusations of murder. But the only murder we're going to talk about is the Odin Lloyd case. But let's talk about the life of Aaron Hernandez. Hernandez was born in Bristol, Connecticut. His father pushed his kids to excel to be great and was considered abusive towards the kids and his mother. Growing up, he was in constant fear of his father. However, in 2008, his father would pass away following a hernia surgery. This death did a number on Aaron Hernandez and he started to rebel against the world. His mother would become estranged and would actually move, he would end up moving in with his older cousin. The cousin and the family had learned that the cousin's husband and Aaron Hernandez's mom were having an affair. The cousin would file for divorce and ex, the ex-husband would move into Hernandez's mom's house, which really enraged Aaron Hernandez. According to DJ Henderson, the older brother of Aaron, he was reportedly, referring to Aaron, was sexually molested as a kid. Supposedly, Aaron was forced to give oral sex to a babysitter for several years. Supposedly is what I'm reading. I haven't found any facts on the situation. but Hernandez would attend Bristol Central High School and would become a sports star. Now he had an issue with spoken weed, but he was actually a pretty legit star he was a wide receiver and then they moved him to tight end and then he was also a defensive end as a senior in connecticut he was considered for an award called the connecticut gatorade football player of the year award given to the best high school players which have included lebron james jason tatum kyler murder just to name a few winners however he wouldn't win it he had a monstrous season having 67 receptions 1807 yards and 24 touchdowns which were all state records at the moment 
and he was considered to be the number one tight end recruit. The problem with Hernandez is he had a party type personality, and it would all go downhill, and would all lead to some very serious problems. At first, Hernandez committed to the University of Connecticut. That's where his brother was, and some people know it as UConn. Um, But Urban Meyer, the head coach of Florida, would actually talk him into joining Florida. And let's talk about the 2007 Florida Gators. They had a guy named Tim Tebow, Cam Newton, Percy Harvin, Andre Caldwell, Riley Cooper, and that's just some of the guys that were on on the team. And, you know, not a bad team overall. Now, the the Gators' previous season would go 9-4 and four and finish the respectful 13th in the AP poll. Mentioned AP poll a few times already. What it is is the college best-ranked schools. Number one would be the number one-ranked school. How, and they would also lose in the Capital Bowl, Capital One Bowl, excuse me, 41-35 to to Michigan. So not a bad team. And Hernandez that season would only have nine catches, for 151 yards and two touchdowns. Not bad, okay, but, you know, for a freshman. Led by Tim Tebow in 2008, the Gators would actually go 13-1 and finish first in the AP poll and would also win the BCS championship game 24-14 against Oklahoma. Hernandez had a better season with 34 catches, 381 yards, and five touchdowns. Not a bad season. The 2009 Florida team led by Tim Tebow again would go 13-1 again finishing third in the AP Bowl poll, winning the Sugar Bowl against Cincinnati. But this season would be the season Hernandez would go off. 68 catches, 850 yards, five touchdowns. Now, Hernandez would forego his senior year and look like to be a second or third round pick easily. However, some off-field issues would scare away some of the teams, and he would fall fourth to the Patriots. Now, Normally, I go through the whole draft. The fourth round pick is, is just too much to go to the the extreme. He was the 113th pick. It'd just be too much. Um, so let's just go with tight ends only. The first tight end picked was 21st pick overall named Jermaine Gresham, who's a two-time pro bowler and a decent overall tight end. The second pick was the second round pick, 42nd overall by the Patriots, a guy named Ron Gronkowski. Maybe you heard of him known as Gronk. Four-time Super Bowl winning, five-time Pro Bowler. I mean, the guy's been pretty damn good. Third round, seventieth overall was a guy named Ed Dickinson. Dixon, excuse me. Um, he was a mediocre at best, but won a Super Bowl in his career. I mean, he wasn't terrible. So, third round, ninety-third overall was a guy named Tony Mooki. He actually had a good career, not a Pro Bowler, but was a decent blocker. Has some decent hands. Not bad for a Mormon. Third round, 95th pick overall is a guy named Jimmy Grant, who, after some thought was retired, actually made his return to the NFL at 36 years of age with the Saints. Um, he's been a five-time Pro Bowler and did do pretty good. It was his first go-around with the Saints. Then the fourth round, 113th overall pick, the Patriots selected their second tight end, Aaron Hernandez. Now, I can go on about his many failed drug tests, and his history of smoking weed, as I mentioned earlier. But let's be honest. We all have have a past, right? Like, I'm just saying. You know what I mean? We all have our past. And we don't have all day to go about this. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about the player. Let's talk about the 2010 Patriots, led by Tom Brady, who went 14-2 and lost to the Jets in the playoffs. Not a bad start to the young tight end, Grunkin. 
Hernandez's career. You know, I mentioned they've been both being drafted in 2010. Hernandez would have 45 receptions, 563 yards, and six touchdowns. Not a bad rookie season. 2011 Patriots would go to the Super Bowl, however, they would lose to the Giants. And again, led by Tom Brady, they went 13-3, and but Hernandez kind of went off. He had 79 receptions, 910 yards, seven touchdowns. A very solid season, but was all outdone by Grunk, who had 90 catches for 1,327 yards and 17 touchdowns. A very solid team. I mentioned they went to the Super Bowl, so obviously they did something right. The 2012 season, Hernandez dealt with a high ankle sprain and missed a few games, only playing in 10 games and had 51 receptions for 583 yards, five touchdowns. Still not a bad season considering the injuries. The 2013 season was looking promising, but however, for Aaron Hernandez, it would never be. On June 17, 2013, Lloyd Odin was shot and killed in an industrial park located one mile away from Hernandez's house. On June 16th, the night before his death, Hernandez texted two friends from his hometown of Bristol asking them to come to Massachusetts, writing, you can't trust anyone anymore. In the early morning hours of June 17th, Lloyd was riding in a, as a passenger in Hernandez's car. He texted, Sister, did you see who I'm with? And his, when his sister responded, he replied, NFL, Lloyd's last text to his sister read, Just so you know. His sister later said that she thought he was just bragging about who he was with. And based upon some information, we'll get into some things. Based on an upheld defendant's attorney objection, the court dismissed the text as testimony, saying there was insufficient evidence that Lloyd feared for his life. On June 26, Hernandez was arrested for first-degree murder and carrying a firearm without a license and two counts of possessions of large-quantity firearms. He pleaded not guilty and even told the NFL Patriots owner, Robert Kraft, that he is innocent. In April 15, 2015, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The rumors as to why Lloyd was killed has been reportedly as many different things. The primary one being that Hernandez was bisexual and Hernandez didn't want that information to get out, so he killed him. Now, we can go on for days as to what happened to Hernandez in court, but I can't at all get conscious doing it. This man was a father and a human being. On April 19, 2017, at 3.05 in the morning, correctional officers found Hernandez hanging with his bed sheets from his window in his cell. He'd be rushed to UMass Memorial Hospital at 4.07 where he was pronounced dead. Now, the autopsy re- report revealed he died from suicide by hanging, but he would also have his brain study for CTE, and it was diagnosed that he actually had CTE. We talked about some of the other athletes in a previous podcast having CTE. CTE is not nothing to joke about. It comes from concussions and basically major head hits. Now, since his death, a lot of rumors started coming out, like one being he had a homosexual relationship with a high school teammate. Some say it was for 15 minutes of fame, but the rumor was they were romantic from 7th grade to 11th grade. However, these are just rumors. And then in the NFL... Wide receiver Brandon Lloyd said that he was warned from Wes Walker, another wide receiver, to be careful that Hernandez would expose his genitalia and talk about gay sex. Again, these are all rumors, and some of it can can be contributed to CTE. So there is that. 
Now, I don't know a lot about the law, but I did find this interesting. Following his death on May 9th, 2017, his lawyers requested and were granted a motion to vacate his murder conviction, which means he technically died an innocent man due to the legal principle that states under Massachusetts laws, the principle asserts that when a criminal defendant dies but has not been has not exhausted all the legal appeals, the case reverts to his status at the beginning. The conviction was considered vacated and defendant rendered innocent. Aaron Hernandez was only twenty seven years of age when he died. He left behind a fiance and his daughter. A very saddening death and story to hear. And, you know, I, I said this very well. And this one kind of actually hit me very hard. It actually kind of made me a little depressed because it made me think, like, what my life would be, you know, if I didn't have my daughter and, you know, things that I would want to do. I want to make sure I'm with her every day. You know, this guy made some very bad mistakes. I mean, who's to say he wasn't bisexual? If it came out, who cares, man? It's, you know, it doesn't matter. But a lot of it, maybe the CTE is a main contributing factor. But I think to myself, like, I'm grateful for everything I have. Now, luckily, I don't have these dealings that I have to deal with. I don't, I'm not nobody famous. I'm not no big celebrity like, you know, some of these guys are. But it's still, you know, this guy was a father. He was a human being. And, you know, he gets a lot of hatred for what he did. And I understand it. But at the same time, maybe he was driven by sort of quote-unquote demons um you know but that was sadly the life and death of aaron hernandez so here is the bonus podcast i grew up watching a lot of raider games 49er games only because they were local to where i'm at being a lions fan i wouldn't get to see a lot of lion games but i did get to enjoy some of the raider and niner games especially during the 90s where we saw some of the greatest players playing jerry rice comes to mind um, John Elway, Steve Young, just some of the names that come to mind. And then there was this guy named Derek Thomas from the Kansas City Chiefs. Derek Thomas was considered to be one of the greatest linebackers of all time. Depending on who you ask and where you are at, Kansas City Chiefs fans will probably tell you he is the greatest. I would actually see a lot of games with the Seahawks, the Cardinals, the Chiefs, more so than I would see the Lions. So I actually got to see the, the Chiefs quite a bit, sometimes two to three times a year. Now, my all-time favorite player is Denver Broncos safety, Steve Atwater. Well, he also played with the Jets. But I could also admire Derek Thomas. He was a hard-hitting, sack-making. I mean, he was like a defensive lineman playing linebacker. I mean, I'm just saying. Not only was he a Hall of Famer, he was considered to be one of the greatest linebackers in the NFL. As I mentioned, twice a year I would see the Raiders play the Chiefs, and he was always a major scare for every team. Without further ado, this is the life and death of Derek Thomas. Thomas was born January 1st, 1967 in Miami, Florida. He was raised by his mother and his father, who would die actually during a mission in the Vietnam War, that being his father. Thomas would play high school football at South Miami Senior High School. He would actually do exceptionally well, and it allowed him to get recognized by Alabama, who recruited him. In 1988, he would win the Buckus Award, which nowadays goes to the top linebacker in high school, college, and the NFL. Back then, it was solely just college. Um, it was actually only a college award from 1985 to 2008. Now, it's all of the others. So, I mean, it was pretty high honor back then. 
Now, Thomas had a great career in college and would get drafted really high, the fourth overall pick by Kansas City in the 1989 draft. Now, this draft had five Hall of Famers in it, including Troy Aikman, Barry Sanders, of course I mentioned Thomas, Deion Sanders, and Steve Atwater. I mentioned that there was five Hall of Fame picks. Well, four of them were the first five picks. So let's just go over the first five picks. Now, I mentioned Thomas was a fourth overall, but the fifth pick was also a Hall of Famer. So let's, let's, let's cover the draft, okay? First pick was selected by Dallas Cowboys. They selected Troy Aikman, a three-time Super Bowl winning quarterback and also a six-time Pro Bowler, and I mentioned Hall of Fame. The second pick, the Packers pick, Tony Mandarich, who was considered to be one of the biggest busts at offensive linemen. He's also linked to using steroids. He also have drug and alcohol addictions and would go into rehab. He was actually cut by the Packers, but he would actually play for the Colts and actually had a pretty solid two years there until a shoulder injury caused him to retire. In his 2009 book, he called My Dirty Little Secret, Steroids, Alcohol, and God, He would reveal a lot of things in that book. I'm just throwing that out there. There's a lot of things you can find out. So, I mean, he's also an author as well. The next pick, the third overall pick, was a guy that the Detroit Lions selected, the greatest running back in the history of NFL, Barry Sanders. Okay, I'm a bit biased there. I'm sorry. He's a 10-time Pro Bowler, an MVP in 1997, is currently fourth in the all-time rushing yards. Again, I'm a bit biased, but had he not retired early, he could have easily been in the top two. Just throwing that out there. Then I mentioned the number four pick, the third Hall of Fame pick, Derek Thomas, who we will get fully into detail in a bit, so let's just skip ahead. Number five was a guy named Primetime Dion Sanders. He was selected by the Atlanta Falcons. He's a two-time Super Bowl winning and one-time defensive player of the year and eight-time Pro Bowler. He also played a little bit of baseball, having 800, or, um, 186 stolen bases in his career. So all around, he was a great athlete. I mentioned Steve Atwater. He was selected with the 20th pick by the Denver Broncos. Just throwing that out there. He's also a Hall of Famer. Now, the 1988 season for the Chiefs, they went 4-11-1, and they were looking to bounce back with Marty Schottenheimer as a coach. And they actually did well. They actually won eight games, going 8-7-1. and one, And they had this one player taking over the league named Christian Okoye. He was a fullback that actually just ran for 1,480 yards, 12 touchdowns. I mean, that's crazy stats for a fullback. I mean, Mike Oslot kind of did the same thing, but it's just crazy to see it. All that being said, Derek Thomas would actually do his thing as well. He played in all 16 games, having 10 sacks as a rookie. He also combined for 75 tackles. Not a bad start to his Hall of Fame career. The 1990 season, the following season, Derek Thomas would have his best season. He went off during a Week 10 game against Seattle. Seahawks, who at that time was actually in the AFC West. Now they're in the NFC. He had a NFL record seven sacks. Dave Krieg was sacked a total of nine times for a total of 90 yards lost. However, the Chiefs would still end up losing the game, 17-16. to 16, But it's considered to be one of the greatest single-game performances by a linebacker in NFL history. Playing 15 games that season, he had a total of 20 sacks, 63 tackles, and was actually named to his first Pro Bowl. The team would actually go 11-5 and would finish second to the L.A. Raiders and make the wild card. However, they would lose to the Miami Dolphins led by Dan Marino. But let's talk about the coaching staff of that season. Joe Pendry, a career offensive coordinator, hasn't coached in the NFL since 2005. 
Bill Cowher, who's won a Super Bowl, ironically, in 2005 with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He also had 149 career wins in the NFL and was at that time the defensive coordinator. The running back coach was a guy named Bruce Ahrens, who coached the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady to a Super Bowl. He's actually two-time coach of the year. He won it once with Arizona, once with Tampa Bay. And he's won a few games. He won 80 career games, to be exact. And then there was a guy named Tony Dungy, a Hall of Fame coach who also won a Super Bowl, has 139 career wins, was the defensive back coach for the Chiefs. And then they had a scout, Herman Edwards, who won 54 games in his career, was better known for a breakdown that y'all just need to hear. I mean, to me, it's kind of, it's funny now, then it might not have been. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. That's the great thing about sports. You play to win. And I don't care if you don't have any wins. You go play to win. When you start telling me it doesn't matter, then retire. Get out. Because it matters. That's unthinkable to me. That you have an opportunity in your lifetime to be a professional, that you think about quitting. See, you don't quit it, and you don't quit in sports. You retire. You don't get to quit. It's not an option. See, someone told me that a long time ago. That, that ain't even an option. And the person told me that, he ain't here anymore. He died. You don't get that option. Now, you can retire. You can do that. But you ain't quit. You ain't doing that. Not on my watch. Now, that was just some of their coaches in the 1990s season. Just crazy. The 1991 season would be a good one, but not great. Chiefs would go 10-6 and six and would beat the Las, Vegas, Los Angeles Raiders excuse me, in the wild card. However, they would lose to the Buffalo Bills in the next round. And Thomas did what Thomas would do best. He would have 13 and a half sacks, 79 tackles, as well as a forced fumble for his first career touchdown. And yet again, another Pro Bowl season. The team looked amazing on defense, but their offense was missing a key piece. Steve DeBerg was a 37-year-old quarterback and who, at best, was declining. Okoye was dealing with some injuries, but still rushed for over 1,000 yards with 1,031 and nine touchdowns. However, they would lose DeBerg and pick up Dave David Cree, who I mentioned early a career mentioned earlier with the Seattle Seahawks. He was a decent quarterback at best, but the problem was. He wasn't at his best. He was a former three-time Pro Bowl quarterback who wouldn't do bad. Okay, the Chiefs would actually go uh, in 1992. They would actually go uh, 10 and six, and the team's leading rusher was a guy named Barry Barry Ward, who had 670 yards rushing for the season. 607 yards for the season. And their key receiver was Willie Davis, who has 756 yards. Not terrible stats, but the thing is, is that won't win you playoff games. In fact, they got shut out by the San Diego Chargers, who had their leading rusher, Marion Butts, 809 yards, and their leading receiver, Anthony Miller, who had 1,070 yards. Just saying there's a little bit of a difference between the two. One had a better receiving core, better running back. Just, just saying. 
Now, the Chiefs knew they had to do something, but the question is what? Well, they did something pretty crazy. They got the GOAT, a guy named Joe Montana, who actually won a few Super Bowls in his career. He's also an eight-time Pro Bowler at that time. Now, Joe was aging and couldn't play like he used to, so they had to improvise as much as they could. They brought in another aging veteran running back, Marcus Allen, who's actually considered to be one of the greatest Chiefs running backs of the era, for sure. And then their key receiver was Willie Davis. So Thomas did his thing, kind of. He had actually his worst statistical season with eight sacks and 43 tackles. However, they had some interesting things happen. The 1993 season, Montana would miss a few games, and the Chiefs, however, they actually went well. When he was healthy, they looked unstoppable, but they would go 11-5 and and would actually lose to the Bills in the conference championship game. Montana as a starter was 8-3. and Not bad. And after having his worst season, he would bounce back the following year. 1994, they would go 9-7, but this would be considered Joe Montana's retirement season, and he would have all nine of the wins and five of the losses. Thomas that season would have 11 sacks, 71 tackles. Following the season, losing Hall of Fame quarterback Joe Montana, the Chiefs went with their backup for Montana, Steve Bono, who was a 33-year-old, at best, a Pro Bowl quarterback, but he was far from his best. But he would actually prove so-called experts wrong by actually having his best. He looked like a Pro Bowl backup quarterback. And what I mean by that is he could be a guy that steps in and actually helps be a Pro Bowl as quarterback. Now, he stepped in, and with the 28-year-old Derek Thomas, this team looked promising going 13-3. and Bono threw for 3,121 yards, 21 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. Not a bad season. Marcus Allen had 890 yards. And again, I mentioned he was aging. He was 35 years of age, adding also five rushing touchdowns going against the Colts in the 1995 divisional playoff games the Chiefs actually looked promising the Colts were led by Jim Harbaugh Marshall Falk and Sean Dawkins just to name some of their few offensive threats and they were a mediocre 9-7 team so the Chiefs actually looked pretty decent right but the Chiefs would actually lose okay here's I hate to say this. Rich, Rich Gannon would throw a beautiful pass to Lake Dawson on a third and long, but Dawson would actually drop it. Not only did Bono get benched, but Gannon actually stepped it up. A guy named Lynn Elliott would go 0-3 for field goals. By the way, for the record, during this playoff game, he'd go 0-3. After this playoff game, he never played another NFL game. However, both quarterbacks combined for throwing for like 240 yards like it was crazy it was considered one of the colder games to ever be played and it left a bitter taste for the Chief fans who looked like they were Super Bowl bound this cold weather also affected both special teams however it affected Lynn Elliott more than anybody Thomas was far from done the 1996 Chiefs team was at best mediocre if you look at it overall, they had a mediocre offense, but a great defense. And, you know, they say defense wins games. I I hate to say it, but not all the time. You need somewhat of an offense. Now, at this time, I would like to take a minute to actually thank my my newest sponsor, King Uno the Gamer, who has actually been 
nice enough to bless me by allowing me to be sponsored. Um, he does canvases. If you guys listen, trust me. Um, just a little cheap plug to go in there. Now back to the <laughs> back to the team. A guy who I have once interviewed once before, Stephen Baker, aka the TD Baker, uh, fellow Super Bowl winning teammate of Mark Collins, who was at that time a 32 year old safety in 1996. Led the team in interceptions. Neil Smith would actually have a Hall of Fame career, but hasn't been. He's a six-time Pro Bowler and won two Super Bowls. They also had a two-time Pro Bowler uh, defensive back, James Hasty, just to name a few players on the defense. However, when you're going against a team like Junior Seau and the, the Chargers, you have to really step it up. Now, the Chiefs were in a competitive situation. However, they were in the wrong division. They would go 9-7 and seven and miss the playoffs. However... We started to see the rise. Well, I shouldn't really say rise, but because he was 31 years of age at that time. But we started seeing the rise of Rich Gannon, who showed promise, possibly leading the team. Steve Bono, as a starter and quarterback, went 8-5. Now, Rich Gannon took over a few games, went 1-2. Marcus Allen, 830 yards. And 36-year-old, soon-to-be Hall of Famer, would have his last good season. The Chiefs season had been cut short due to the lack of of basically a solid offense. But it wasn't a lack for trying. Thomas had 13 sacks, 55 tackles, and I mentioned Neil Smith. He has six sacks as well. The Chiefs brought in former quarterback for the backup quarterback, that is, for the San Francisco 49ers, Elvis Gerbach, who would become the starter and would also lead to some controversy in the playoffs. So I'll get to that in a second. The Chiefs would go 13-3. And we lose Garbach in a Week 10 injury. And Gannon actually stepped up. Garbach was 8-2, and two, and Gannon was obviously 5-1. But they went 13-3. And, and was the hot quarterback, winning five games in a row. Marty would actually go with his, what he thought was leader, Elvis Garbach, to start the playoff game. And sadly, in most people's eyes, it was considered the wrong move. Denver would actually go on beating Kansas City 14-10, to and then you started to see some familiar names like future Hall of Famer, Tony Gonzalez, Pro Bowlers, Andre Ryzen, and a former Pro Bowler himself, Joe Horn, who, by the way, Joe Horn was a four-time Pro Bowler with the Atlanta Falcons, obviously. Andre Ryzen had a total of five Pro Bowlers, actually pretty good, good receivers in their own right. Now, the offense... Was actually looking better. Defense wasn't terrible. But the controversial call starting Garbuck has actually been considered the most controversial call in Chiefs history. Considered one of. I'm sorry. Considered one of. Now, had Gannon started, who knows? They could have possibly won. I mentioned Allen was pretty much done after, and he would actually be done after this season. He walked, walked away from football without getting a chance to win a Super Bowl with the Chiefs. But he's considered to be one of the greater Chief running backs. Thomas that season had nine and a half sacks, 34 tackles. He actually missed four games on top of that. The 1998 Chiefs struggled. The 7-9 Chiefs, actually, you would start to see something was missing. Gannon had lost his spark. Garbuck was got hurt and struggled. The team was hurting. There was injuries all over with Ryzen and so on. Thomas had 12 sacks in 15 games mentioned injuries. And people were wondering if he was starting to decline because he was hurt. And unfortunately, you would start to see this sad decline of him. And injuries and being healthy would actually be a major contributor. They would also lose Marty 
uh, shot higher and promote Gunther Cunningham as a head coach who was a former defensive coordinator. And after his first season, they did good. Garbach and Moon were the starting quarterbacks. Uh, Warren Moon, that is, at their one-two punch. Gannon would actually leave. Uh, mention him in one second. They go nine and seven and would lose a. <laughs> oh, here this is going to be great. Nine and seven, and they had Tony Gonzalez, eight hundred forty-nine yards, eleven touchdowns, but a mediocre run game, and they struggled. The thirty-two-year-old Thomas had seven sacks and his first interception, and would sadly be his last. I, I kind of laughed, not because of anything that I just said. Um, the last game of the season was against the Raiders. Okay. And I'm saying this because uh, hold on, hold on. I got a sneeze. All right. I apologize about that. I had a sneeze come up out of nowhere. Um, the last game of the season, they would actually lose an overtime game to the Oakland Raiders, who, by the way, the Oakland Raiders starting quarterback was a guy named Rich Gannon. Yeah. Crazy to believe the four-time Pro Bowl quarterback was the former Chiefs backup quarterback. After a tough loss on what would be his final game in overtime, just a day after his 33rd birthday, we didn't know that that would be the last time we would ever see Derek Thomas play. On January 23, 2000, Thomas was driving his 1999 Suburban to the Kansas City uh, airport to catch a flight to St. Louis to watch the NFC Championship game in person. Now there was a snowstorm and sadly he would lose control of his car after he was driving an alarming speed of 70 miles an hour with snow and ice all over. The car would go off the interstate 435 and both Thomas and fellow passenger Michael Tellis were not wearing seatbelts. Tellis sadly died on impact. The other passenger not named walked away but was unlike the other two because they were wearing their seatbelt. Thomas was left paralyzed from the chest down. On the morning of February 8th, 2000, while being transferred from his bed to a wheelchair to go to therapy, Thomas told his mom that he wasn't feeling well. His eyes would then roll back and he would go into cardiac arrest. He would actually sadly die from a blood clot going from his legs to his lung. Thomas was only 33 years old and left behind a legacy and seven kids. Thomas would be inducted into the Hall of Fame, only having 642 tackles, but he had 126 sacks and forced 41 fumbles, and I mentioned, of course, one interception. The Chiefs considered him to be the greatest of all time, but now I think Patrick Mahomes is actually going to take that title. And now they are actually looking very promising. They've won three Super Bowls in the last five seasons. Now, I mentioned Derek Thomas was not my favorite all-time player, but watching a lot of Raider games, I saw a lot with him, and it was a very big loss in, in the NFL. That was sadly the life and death of Derek Thomas.